Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the MMA Live Before Lock show. That is what we're calling this officially. I know it's not officially right before lock, but we didn't want to be here at like midnight doing an MMA show for a couple of reasons. Number one, it'd be late on a Saturday night, so we didn't know if you guys would be around. So we just want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to watch the show. Either you're watching it live, hang out, asking us questions in the Discord, chopping it up, or if just you aren't going to be available later tonight, just wanted to make sure that we get this out a little bit more in advance. And it's an obscure card because even though it's in Las Vegas, this is a card that's kind of supposed to be geared a little bit more towards the Asian fan. So it is supposed to be scheduled for prime time overseas, but oddly they did pick out Derek Lewis for Sergey Spivak as the main event. But other than that, it is filled with a lot of Asian fighters with names that uh, we're going to have a fun time pronouncing myself and Josh Harris here. So as you guys come in, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're sponsored by prize picks. Today. We'll be talking a little bit more about prize picks as we go along. If you guys have any questions for us at all, Throw them into YouTube, at me in Discord. We'll be answering them as we go. Uh, no card last week, but a couple weeks ago. It went pretty well for me. Do you remember how it went for yourself, Josh? Yeah, I did pretty well. I took a lot of heat for saying, um, what's his name? The guy just won the belt. My, my brain is just melting. Uh, uh, Brandon Moreno? No, the other one. The light heavyweight. Oh, Jamal Hill. Yeah, Jam uh, Jamal Hill. I, I took a lot of heat in the chat uh, two weeks ago for saying Jamal Hill doesn't have elite power. I don't know. He he landed over 200 significant strikes against Glover. Didn't knock him out. It, it makes you think like Rumble Johnson sent his teeth flying into the fifth row like a few years ago. He had durability issues. I'm not taking away anything from Hill as a fighter, but you know, if you're gonna come at me and say Hill doesn't have great power, I'm gonna come back at you. I'm gonna take a, a little lap here for that. But if if you have some things to say, say it. Man, I like um going back and forth with the chat. It's good. Um, but yeah, I, I did pretty good overall. I had a fair bit of Moreno. The one fight that I did not have was the one uh, that scored super well. That kept me away from the like elite money, I would say. Which one was it? Let me see. Like I had Jessica Andrade. I thought, my God, that fight should have been stopped 38 different times. I mean, you uh, I didn't have the same for the main event with Jamal Hill yeah. and Glover. That one, you know, yeah. the Glover Glover's cornerman retired after that fight because he was like, I don't, I can't advocate for this anymore. He's still going to be coaching, but he's not going to be cornering fighters anymore because he, he felt that he should have been able to stop the fight. There's four men in the corner. They took a vote on. He got out ruled three to one. He's like, I can't do this anymore. But yeah, there was a couple of fights that could have been stopped early and. I think it helped me that they didn't get stopped early. So I was really profitable on the last card. I ended up making over 10K on DraftKings, and a lot of it was via uh, Rainmakers, which I've been more involved with. Uh, and I was also rooting for the wrong things. I went into the main event thinking I was supposed to be rooting for Glover. And uh, then all of a sudden, my best lineup had Jamal Hill in the in the captain spot. So uh, yeah, and I did see uh, Andy Millman uh, is in chat. He shouted. I said, hey, Greg, nice win the other night. And uh, yeah, appreciate you. And then he also said, should be a violent night. I agree. 
Uh, there's only a couple of fights on this card that I don't like just from like a violent slash inside the distance finishing perspective. I, I know these aren't the biggest names on the card, but I do expect there to be a lot of action. And if you guys are willing to stay up until three o'clock in the morning or whatever to watch some of these fights, I think they're going to be entertaining. I think they're going to be uh, good to see. Did you find out which uh, fight it was? I think it was the the opening fight. Um, Daniel Marcos. Like he he scored that KO yeah. in the second yeah. round. He scored pretty well. Didn't have it. Like I I had uh, the right lineup combinations. I just didn't have the guy to get that elite money. But I know I cashed and kind of you live to see another day when you do one to three lineups and you take that and run. And this is a card that's going to have a lot of variance to it. And I have a feeling this, especially because we've got the the road to the UFC fighters, where it's a bunch of fighters who. Don't have that much experience. People just a handful of pro fights and there's not that much information on them. I have a feeling that some of these fights towards the middle of the card and some of you agree with this. I think in hindsight, we're going to look at some of these lines and be like, that was a really fucking terrible line. But it's going to be lines are just like, this guy was a minus 400 favorite and looked like he should have been an underdog. This fight was minus 150 to finish inside the distance. And it was just a brawl that finished in a couple of minutes. I tend to think a lot of these lines are probably not indicative of actually what's going to happen in the fight. Do you feel that way as well with some of these? Yeah, with most of them, actually. Um, <laughs> even, even I'm going to take a lot of heat for this, the uh, Kinoshita, you know, like I know he's fighting Adam Fuggett, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's how I'm going to say it. Um, I, I just don't think he should be a minus 350 favorite. Yeah, he had a nice knockout in Dana White's Contender Series, but, you know, and he should be the rightful favorite in my eyes, I think. But minus three fifty seems really wide. Like that one seems wide. The uh, Lee Yi Jia fight seems wide. You know, most of these, like like you said, there's not much tape outside of the road to the UFC. And a lot of these road to the UFC fighters like don't have large records. They have these fights on the regional scene that are very low levels of competition. So there's a lot of unknowns with them. But I think that's what makes it very good for uh, MME style on this slate because there's going to be a lot of variance in a lot of these fights. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny. Even the fights that, and we'll start by talking about the main event here, Sergey Spivak against Derek Lewis. And it's funny because even the fights we do know about, pretty high variance fights. I mean, it's a Derek Lewis fight. Derek Lewis, he's so difficult to predict his fights because if you look at all of his metrics – by no means is this somebody who I would ever categorize as a good fighter. These are not the kind of guys that I like to bet on. But at the same time, too, he's got that one punch man type finishing power where he touches you once and the fight is over. And Sergey Spivak is somebody who we've seen get knocked out before. He's not the greatest striker in the world. He's a, Both of them have very clear paths to victory. If Spivak is able to get his wrestling game going, he is going to have a significant advantage on the ground over Derek Lewis. And, uh, submission possibility ground and pound just wear out Derek Lewis to where Derek Lewis basically ends up you know fatiguing out that's a possibility if Spivak doesn't get early early takedowns though I, I think that Derek Lewis just puts him to sleep so uh, I do think that Spivak is rightfully the favorite but I tend to think the line is a little bit too wide and one thing that also doesn't really make sense to me about this line Josh Derek Lewis is plus 190 on the money line right around there. Well, it's grown a little bit now. It's actually uh, swollen to plus 240 over the course of the day. But he should have KO, TKO odds that are in line with his just money line. And that's not the case. You could actually get extra odds on him by him finishing inside the distance. If he wins, it's going to be by KO. So 
Uh, I think Derek Lewis is a live underdog. I do agree with Sergey Spivak being the favorite. I think the line is a little bit too wide, though. Uh, how are you? How are you viewing this main event? Oh, okay. So uh, Josh is gone. So is his uh, is internet cut out again? Okay. So we'll see if we can get Josh back on. If you guys have any questions, uh, we'll we'll certainly answer those. Spencer Smith is asking: Is Greg going to fight fight Jimmy Butler today? Not on the uh, DraftKings slate. We don't have a line for that, but I would line it at, I don't know, Mike, if you could hear me, what, what do you think would be a fair line for me versus Jimmy Butler? What do we got? Like me minus 500 and minus 300 finish inside the first round? Something. Yeah, I would lines? say somewhere around minus five, 600. I guess, I guess nobody could hear me. All right, so Josh says that he's going to be back here in a second. If you guys have any questions, throw those into Discord. I'm also going to pull up some of the lineups that I've built and where some of my exposures lie right now. So in terms of the main event, I have a lean towards Sergey Spivak for DFS purposes. And here's the reason why. Even though I think Derek Lewis is live to win the fight, if Spivak wins, I know for sure that he's going to put up a really big fantasy score. Uh, by the way, is, is, it, is it looking a little weird on the screen right now, Mike? Sorry. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm back. Josh is back. All right. All I don't. Right. I don't. I don't know what's going on. Like my internet's it's fine. The cold. It's fine. frozen. It's yeah. frozen. You're frozen on the screen, literally and figuratively. I know for me because people are saying I look cold. I am cold. It was six degrees, like yeah, four to six too. degrees in New Jersey last night. I'm freezing. Uh, but anyway, uh, getting to the uh, Spivak Derek Lewis fight. What I was about to say about it. The reason my preference is for Sergey Spivak as a DFS play, just beyond the fact that he's a big favorite in the fight, is if he wins, I know it's going to be via wrestling and grappling, and I feel very good about him putting up a good score. If Derek Lewis wins, even via second-round knockout, it might literally be a scenario where Derek Lewis lands 12 strikes, gets a second-round finish, and that's you know all of his scoring. So I don't think Derek Lewis is guaranteed to have a big score and a win. Sergey Spivak, on the other end, I do feel really good about putting up a big score if he is to win. So how are you going to allocate your exposures in the main event? I'm leaning more towards Spivak as the better DFS option. Me too. I put out a tweet earlier this week. I said, like, I have a bad feeling that, like, Spivak's going to get his wrestling going in the first few rounds. And then one of the later rounds, you know, Derek Lewis is just going to be like, I'm going to stand up because he always just says, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I'm going to stand up and knock you out. He's going to stand up, get like a 34th round knockout and score like 65 points, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, like, I, I think he's going to be popular just off the fact that, you know, he has that knockout power. Spivak is a liability on the feet, but, like, Spivak has that wrestling, and it's it's not exactly the same fight, but Ira Latifi took Derek Lewis down three times and controlled him for eight minutes. Um, it could be kind of similar. Spivak doesn't have great submission grappling. But he does have very good control and ground to pound. So, like, if he can get good position on Lewis, I think he can hold him down for periods of time. One, because Derek Lewis doesn't really get up until he wants to, and he kind of just <laughs> lays there, conserving his energy. And two, you know, he's a lot bigger than Latifi height-wise. I think he can control him a little bit better. Not that anyone can control Derek Lewis when he when it's time to get up, he gets up. But like another thing that does worry me, like Alexia Linick got Derek Lewis down and held him in a scarf hold for most of the round. Lewis just did not seem like he wanted to get up. There's talk that Lewis has passed his prime, and I'm sure that's true, but like I see people saying he's washed at 39. Like You see these heavyweights go out at 39-40, have massive devastating power, and still win. 
That also, by the way, sorry to cut, that, that also kind of indicates he had a prime. He's he's yeah. always kind of been the same. He's he's either got the nuke in his right hand that he finishes you with, or he doesn't land it and he loses. Like that's the entire Derek Lewis story here. And by the way, the last time that he fought a wrestler that he knocked out, I'm sure as everybody remembers the vicious KO over Curtis Blades that it took, you know, Herb Dean a good uh, three and a half hours to stop the fight before he got there. Second round finish for Derek Lewis in that fight. He scored 82 fantasy points on DraftKings. If he does that again today, like that's the scenario where he could get a a somewhat early finish and not be in the optimal lineup. So uh, that's why my exposures right now, I'm a little bit, uh, I assume, underweight to the field on Derek Lewis, a little bit overweight to the field on Sergey Spivak. That's that's where I'm leaning here, and it does seem like you are on the same page. Do do you have any thoughts on that about the main event? Spivak has great metrics. You know, like he's a big favorite. He has a good inside the distance number. Like if you take away knowing who Derek Lewis is, and you just looked at the numbers, you have to favor Spivak. But you, know, you throw in that X factor, Derek Lewis can send you to the, you know, the depths of hell with the one punch. Like it's hard to be like, oh man, I'm just going to jam in Spivak. But I think Spivak's my preferred play. I think he has better metrics. I think he's going to, I don't know if he's going to be super chalky, but I like, I don't think he's going to be massively overowned compared to some of the other fighters. So I, I, I really like Spivak tonight. Yeah, Tokyo Swan saying Lewis apparently is a fucked up back. Yeah, his back's been messed up for forever. That's actually why that fight against uh, Francis Ngannou, which was probably the worst heavyweight fight that's uh, maybe the, the worst fight ever, especially when you when you say relative to expectations. That was a fight we were all expecting to be an absolute barn burner. Nothing happened. Derek Lewis was just literally unable to throw because of how badly his back was messed up. So, yeah, it, it's not... Uh, not abnormal for Derek Lewis to be having back issues and then also had an illness that he'd pull out of the last time these guys were fighting, which was actually kind of comes full circle. The first ever UFC card with late swap was Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak. And what ends up happening in that fight, Derek Lewis gets sick. The fight doesn't happen. And now uh, the first fight where late swap is removed again, it's Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak. So full circle here. I'm happy that late swap is gone from DFS. That ended up being an unmitigated disaster. So uh, I'm happy yep. that that is over and gone. We also have uh, the Iron Turtle, who is the yeah. reason for the significant strike points getting changed as well, because that fight against the, what was his name? Let me look. Is, uh, is John that Phillips. They, was that the fight against John it? Phillips, where he landed four takedowns and had 260 strikes, but only 10 of them were counted as significant. It, I'm not sure that's why they changed it i think the the so there was a couple reasons they changed like i think it was stuff like that but the other thing too is so fight metric now ufc stats ufc bought them yeah they got rid of advances they they got rid of advances as a stat that they track and then just DraftKings had to change how they're doing scoring and i I think that was really the the biggest thing more than anything we're just figuring like all right how do we how do we re redo the scoring in a way that kind of uh, makes up for the loss of that but there's definitely been some weird fights where uh, strikes for significant strikes and how to score them and uh, has definitely been something that's been uh in an impact definitely on how some fantasy uh some fantasy contests have played out and now we do have like you said Daun Jung in the co-main event against Devin Clark Devin Clark cannot take damage right like Devin Clark take, wears damage extremely poorly his dad goes nuts in the corner of every single fight and, you know, Clark is somebody who's had some decent wins, actually, even against power punchers in the UFC. 
He's very dependent on getting his wrestling going. If he doesn't get his wrestling going, he gets hurt at distance. It was what happened in his last fight against Azamat Merzikhanov. Ended up getting finished in the third round. He got hurt multiple times over the course of that fight. Uh, this is a spot where I'm not totally confident that Da Jong knocks him out. This isn't my favorite fight to target because uh, I think there's a lot of fights that I'm really confident finish inside the distance. Da Jong, I prefer other fighters priced around him. Uh, but I definitely favor him to win over Devin Clark. Devin Clark, not really an underdog. I love taking shots on. How are you going to approach this fight? Surprisingly enough, this fight ha is lined uh, to finish inside the distance at minus 225, which is one of the bigger ones outside of the main event. Now, Dawoon Jung took down William Knight eight times. I'm wondering if he tries to wrestle here because we've seen Devin Clark not really want to do anything off his back. Um, he got controlled by William Knight for two minutes. He got taken down. You know, like, I, I just... Devin Clark's best attribute, I guess, is his toughness. I don't know how much success he's going to have uh, wrestling offensively. Uh, Jung has a takedown defense at 88%. Jung also lands 2.43 uh, takedowns per 15. So it's hard not to favor Jung here. With, with Vegas lining it, minus 225. Like, I think they might be expecting a, a late finish here. Um, you saw Jung hurt Kenny Echekusway. I always butcher that name. He uh, also <laughs> uh, knocked Kenny down Sam... In coup. In there you go. He also uh, knocked down Sam Alvey, who hasn't... He actually lost that fight, but uh, I, I just feel like he has... He's a much better striker. Devin Clark's optics are bad too. Like when he gets hit, he turns his back to fighters. And, and he winces. You see it on his face a yeah. lot too. The only thing going for him really is if he can get the fight to the mat. And I, I just don't know if he can. Like you've seen him struggle. Like he'll get you, you up to the cage, but he just can't complete the takedowns. I think Jung has advantages on the feet. He has advantages. I think if Jung can get in top control, he can finish the fight as well. So I just. I, I highly prefer Jung. The one thing I will say, if Jung does get tired, and we've seen it before, he'll get tired. Maybe, you know, if Clark survives into the late seconds, the early third, he can land a takedown, get some ground pound, get him out of there. But it's hard not to favor Jung here. Yeah, and to me, and this is actually going to tie into, because we got a question on our Discord channel from our guy 1.6. He uh, wants to know, who are our favorite prize picks plays of the week? And by the way, prize picks is the sponsor of today's show. If you guys haven't checked out prize picks yet, Sign up using the link that we have below because that is going to get you up to a $100 bonus on your first deposit and one free month of Stochastic Plus Platinum. So you get access to all the projections, all the tools we have, not just for MMA, but every single other DFS sport out there. The Super Bowl is coming up, if you guys haven't heard. And there's some really big Super Bowl contests. DraftKings main contest, $6 million prize pool for the Super Bowl. So you're getting access to all the tools we have for NFL, for NBA. MLB is coming up in not too long. All of that and all you have to do is sign up using the link we have below when you head on over to Prize Picks. But anyway, 1.6 wants to know who is our favorite Prize Picks play of the week. I actually do like Jung Young Park for under two takedowns. That's such a big number. It's hard for me to think that he reliably gets to three in this spot. And the other thing too is that uh, that that with Park is it, it's it, I think he's a striking advantage in his matchup as well. So I don't think that there's a real need. Actually, let me look. Did oh, I, I never mind. I'm looking at um the line for the wrong fight. But either way, I like this one as well. Uh, Jung Young Park, not Dalun Jung, but Jung Young Park who fights earlier in the in the fight against Dennis Tululin. I also think he has a striking advantage in that fight, and I think he could finish Tululin on the feet. 
So I just think it's more likely than not that he finishes with less than three takedowns. So I like the under on the two takedown line. Uh, is, is there anything that stands out to you on prize picks? Looking at a uh, Tyara fight time. Yeah. It's, it's lined at 9.75 minutes. I think he goes under there. Uh, he's just a massive favorite. And we'll talk about that earlier. He's like a minus 1150 favorite with a huge inside the distance. I'd be shocked if it got to the end of the second. Yeah. And uh, that that's one also where I, I think he kind of could finish the fight however he wants. I think he should be able to land takedowns fairly easily. There's a reason he's the biggest favorite on the card by a mile. You know, earlier in uh, early, oh, nice. Kyrie Irving was ruled out. I'm pretty happy about that. I bet the Wizards earlier in the day. Uh, but anyway, on that. <laughs> yeah, there, uh, so the uh, and Ben Simmons also out. Nice. There we go. I feel like a smart person. The uh, uh, the the lines when you look at this fight, th- these fights tonight. I was saying that a lot of them, I, I think, are going to look kind of dumb in hindsight. The the Tetsuro Tyra fight against Jesus Aguilar. That is not one that I feel is going to look dumb. Like that's a fight that I'm pretty confident Tyra should just go out and dominate. And in chat, somebody was asking earlier, who do we think is the safest? Like, who do we actually feel confident is going to win? Tyra is easily one of those fighters for me. And I mean, that's clearly not a hot take. Yeah, he's a massive, massive favorite. Uh, Tyra looked very, very good against CJ Vergara, who's tough, who's a good, you know, good fighter. Got taken, he had three takedowns, ended up winning by armbar late in the second. I just think Tyra is just, uh, better everywhere in this fight. I think the biggest question for this fight is what do you do with him? He's $300 more expensive than any other fighter at 9,600. If you know he's going to score 110, I don't think that makes the question, the answer much easier. You know what I mean? Like 110 for 9,600 is great, but is it going to be in the optimal lineup? I'm going to lean towards no. And I, I feel like if I know he's going to score, or guess that he's going to be around 110 or under, like 100 to 110. I feel like coming in under the field here is the optimal play just because there's not many trustworthy dogs, albeit, you know, there's a lot of lines that could be wonky and there could be a guy in the low sevens that could win and put up like 115. But to get in a 9,600 fighter really hampers your your build. So I have him in 32% of the lineups that I've built right now, and we have him projected for 44% ownership. So you know, obviously, if he's in a third of my lineup, so a little less than a third, he's somebody I don't mind getting to, but I'm going to be underweight to the field on him just because I do find it tricky to get to him. He's so much more expensive than every other fighter on the card. And like you said, it's not enough for him to go out and score 100 points. It's not enough for him to go out and score 105 points. He really has to be the top scorer on the slate or at least close to the top scorer on the slate and put up some crazy high score to make that price tag worthwhile. You know, it's hard to get up to those 9,600 guys, especially when there are a lot of really big favorites on the card. There aren't that many underdogs that I feel super, super confident in. So Tyra, if you're playing cash games, go ahead and play Tyra. But for tournaments, I'm going to be a little bit underweight to the field just because I do think it's hard to be overweight to somebody who's, you know, in nearly half of the field's lineups and is so much more expensive than every other fighter. Yeah. It's just it's just like a question of your build, right? If you're comfortable getting him in, you think uh, you have a dog that you really like, like we'll talk about later, like Yi, Ja at 7,300, that line seems a little bit off. Maybe he wins, but like that's not something you can count on. You're going to have to put in one of these really cheap guys like Kazama, Fugget, Manny Bomb, Yi, Ja, Derek Lewis. Like I feel like if you're going to start with Tyara, your next click is going to be Derek Lewis and you're just going to be put on a path where you're going to get duped. If you had to pick somebody outside of Tyra, because this is also something that came up in, in uh, Discord before, if you take somebody who is not Tyra, that you're all that your next most confident wins today, just straight up wins, doesn't have to be a big DFS score, just gets the win. Who is it that you would pick? 
I think it's Nakamura. He just has a, a very good background. He uh, won a wrestling championship under 23 and 17. You look at his tape on the road to the UFC, it's just he had a clean double leg. The guy even grabbed the fence and he still completed it, had a nice submission. Then he showed striking in his next bout. I just, you know, maybe the line's wide. Maybe it's a little bit more sweaty than it needs to be. But I, I think at the end of the day, he's going to win. Yeah, and FK Cooler's in chat saying, uh, I think I expect this to be a high-variance card. MMA is high-variance for nature, but says that he agrees with me that the betting lines may be a little bit less effective than usual. Yeah, it's pretty hard to accurately line fights when you don't have information, which is what a lot of these middle, like, middle-of-the-fight card fights are, these road-to-the-UFC fights. It's people who, you know, if you're pulling up in Fantasy Crunch and you're looking at the records of these fighters, there's no information listed on any of them because we haven't really seen a lot of them fight before. But with that said, I think a lot of them are good fights to target that should finish inside the distance. So, uh, and also fighters that are fighting literally for a job, which if, if you if you guys watch the contender series, which I think you and I have talked about this before, Josh, you, you, you check out contender series from time to time, I love right? Contender series. I love it. So here's, what's great about contender series and why I think there's a correlation to this card. What happens in contender series chaos, just absolute chaos, nonsense, violence, a lot of back and forth fights, a lot of output. The reason why is you have green fighters that are fighting for an opportunity in their mind to change their lives, right? These are fighters who are fighting for, it's a job interview basically. And a couple of things have to happen for them to get the job. They have to win and they have to win in an exciting fashion. And I do think that's going to be the mindset for a lot of these fighters, where if you're looking at a fight like uh, Jubilee versus Saragi, the 8,200-8,000 fight, I don't know exactly who's going to win that fight, but I have a feeling the winner is going to score extremely well just because I think it's going to be a war where they're trying to fight for a spot on the roster and they're going to go back and forth. So a lot of those road to the UFC type fights, I think they're going to score really well. And more so than a fight like Tybor versus Ivanov, the next one we have to talk about that I just do not have interest in because I've seen a bunch of Marcin Tybor fights. I've seen a bunch of Bulgoy Ivanov fights. Ivanov got stabbed him like 16 times and he survived that. He's very hard to hurt. He's very hard to finish. Uh, neither one of them is super high outputs. It is a heavyweight fight where there could be variance, but... Uh, neither one of these are exceptional DraftKings scores. And this is a fight that, given how many fights that I talked about before, I think could finish inside the distance. I'm cool with kind of passing on this fight. Do you have a stronger lean on it? Well, even off six fights in the UFC, all by decision, two of them by split. He's <laughs> he's good. I, I, like, I, like for a heavyweight, he's good everywhere, not great anywhere. He's always in close fights. And like you see the metrics, like he absorbs more strikes than he, Puts out, he, he's, he throws 3.44 a minute. He he hit he gets hit 4.21 a minute. So, like, it's not great metrics. He lands under a takedown per 15 minutes. He has decent takedown defense. He does have he does have a good guillotine, but, like, is Tybora going to put himself into a guillotine? That would be quite a scene for a heavyweight, putting himself yeah. into a guillotine. But, like, I would imagine this is going to be a low-scoring standing affair. You know, he, Tybora beat... Like Alexander Romanov, which was an ugly, ugly win. He landed 47 significant strikes, no takedowns. Lost to Volkov, no takedowns. You know, he he knocked out uh, Walt Harris, knocked out uh, Greg Hardy, but most of that stuff is coming on the ground. You know what I mean? Uh, beat Ben Rothwell, but that was a takedown included. I'm, I'm not sure, like, you're going to be taking Ivanov down. So it's just going to be a close, a close stand-up affair, and in these 50-50 fights, you, you know, generally they're not going to score great on 
DraftKings, especially in heavyweights, you know, you've seen it's, I don't know. I think the winner maybe can get to 80 points, but I don't think that's going to be enough. Yeah, I see it the exact same way. It's a fight that fairly closely lined. I agree with how close the line is, but it's also a fight that based on we've seen how both of them fight, they're both fairly difficult to finish everywhere. I think uh, even all probably more more live to get the finish than Tybor, but if it's not a first round finish, another one that probably isn't going to score very well. So one of the least appealing fights to target, I think that uh, a lot of the uh, audience here is going to know that uh, that uh, there's another fight on the card, Ejon Kim versus Mandy Bohm. That's another one that I do not think is going to score pretty well. Every other fight, though, I think is very live to finish pretty quickly. Well, then the next one, Duho Choi versus Kyle Nelson. If this fight takes place three years ago, what's the line here? Duho Choi, like, minus 500? Duho Choi, minus 600? Because Duho Choi, at a point in time, not that he was ever you know, like a title contender or anything like that. But number one, he was a very exciting fighter and he was fighting against pretty good competition. We haven't seen him fight in three years, but uh, guys, listen to the opponents that Duho Choi has fought recently. He got knocked out by Charles Jordan in his last fight. And uh, we now respect Charles Jordan as being a pretty good fighter. Before that, he fought Jeremy Stevens. And uh, by the way, the fight against Jeremy Stevens, he was the main event of that card. Before that, he fought against Cub Swanson. That's another really difficult opponent. And yeah, also a very good fight. It ended up being a fight of the night. By the way, the uh, the last one, two, the last three fights he's been in, all fight of the nights. So this guy, all all action fights. And then before that, Tiago Tavares, another difficult matchup. So this is a guy, massive step down in competition. There's just variance added to the fact that we have not seen Duho Choi fight since that knockout loss against Charles Jordan, which took place in 2019. So we've not seen him fight in over three years. I don't know exactly what to expect out of him, except for the fa- from a performance standpoint, other than the fact that there is going to be action in this fight. Whoever wins, I do expect to score very well on DraftKings. So of all the fights that we've talked about so far, this is the one that I'm the most interested in. I'm leaning towards Duho Choi, but I think Kyle Nelson is worth taking shots on just because of uh, the some of the metrics on Duho Choi, where he absorbs 6.38 significant strikes per minute. That's not a great thing to look at. His striking defense is only 53%. Uh, if this was the duo trail, like I said, of a few years ago, he wipes the floor with, with Nelson in this spot. Uh, but I do think this is a fight that should score really well. I expected to finish in the first round. Yeah, here's the thing. Like, Kyle Nelson's metrics are just as bad, right? He lands 3.3. Oh, they're was way worse. Yeah, way yeah. worse. He, ta- he absorbs 5.39 for 15. His striking defense, 47%. I, I think, you know, they're bringing back Choi after this year, like get him a nice win. Uh, Kyle Nelson is not technical at all. He's more of a brawler. And that's the thing, like Choi is technical. If if Nelson's going to rush at him like that, Choi's going to pick him apart, one to him, knock him out. Uh, Nelson is one and four in the UFC. His one win was a knockout over Marco Polo, uh, Polo uh, Reyes, which is a concern for Choi because outside of the military stuff he had to do, the big reason he took that three years off is his durability. He just got cracked on the chin. He couldn't take a punch. So maybe he comes back and he still can't take a punch. And Kyle Nelson finds that chin and, and, you know, puts him out. But like on the flip side, Kyle Nelson got knocked out by Billy Quarantillo who couldn't, who can barely finish his dinner. You know what I mean? So like he has durability issues as well. Duho Choi, I think has the power advantage. He's way more technical. You know, you take out the durability issues, I think Choi would be a massive, massive favorite. So it's hard not to favor Choi here. Yep. Of all the spots we talked about so far, like I said, Duho Choi is my favorite target. It's a fight I expected to be uh, very action-packed. And at the same time, too, it's one where we got reasonable price tags. We got a good discount here on Duho Choi. 
because of the long layoff. And, you know, I'm hoping that his layoff kind of ends up looking like the Korean zombies. Remember another guy who kind of a similar fighting style, actually, to Duho Choi, although, you know, a little more well-rounded of a fighter, Korean zombie. But still, he took the layout, the long layoff, served military time, came back, looked like a killer. So uh, Duho yeah. Choi, it's, I don't usually put a lot of stock into weigh-ins, but to me, it was helpful that Choi looked good on the scale. If he looked, you know, way different physically, I think I would have felt different about this fight. Is that something you put any stock into at all for this one or just it is what it is? Yeah, I think the scales, I mean, are like, how do you quantify what you look on the scale? But like, I think he looked good. I think Sergey Spivak looked a little fluffy compared to how he usually does. But how does that translate into fights? We don't really know. But like, yeah, Choi looked about what he normally looks like. So you're not up there shaking with the towel to hit the weight. He looked good. Didn't look like he had a tough cut. So yeah, it didn't really change my opinion on the fight. So let's move on. And uh, after Kyle Nelson, Duho Choi, the next one, we do have Akino Shita taking on Adam Fugit. And this is another one of these ones where I think there should be a lot of action. Fugit's one of my favorite underdog targets on the entire slate, just from a standpoint of we have somebody making a UFC debut in Kino Shita. And it's a really wide line. There are not very many underdogs that I feel confident. Not that I'm confident in Fugit, but if he wins, this is a fight that's expected to finish inside the distance. I think he's going to score well in a victory. And just once again, a really wide line on a fight where there's very little information. And that to me makes me think that Fugit, who I know could hit hard, I know he has a little bit of wrestling. I, I, I think that he's one of the, he's actually of all of the fighters that are priced, uh, let's say, south of Derek Lewis. Fugit is my favorite one to target. Is that is that sensible? Yeah, that's sensible. Um, I think my favorite one to target is Yija, but we'll get to that fight. Mm -hmm. Adam Fugit, 7,100, also a good option. Here's the thing, right? I think his best attribute is his toughness. He's one another fighter that's, you know, pretty good everywhere, not great anywhere. The one thing that does concern me is durability issues. He got knocked down twice by Michael Morales. Now, Michael Morales has a pretty strong trajectory. But, you know, Fugit in that fight was a massive underdog. And he, you know, he made a good accounting of himself. He landed 64 significant strikes, landed the takedown. He attempted eight. He fought hard for as long as the fight lasted, had almost two minutes in control. I think, you know, if um, Kinoshita doesn't land that big punch, I think Fugit can, you know, wrestle a little bit here. And get him down like we don't know about Kinoshita's defensive grappling it hasn't really been tested his you know his regional tape the level of competition has been pretty low he is six and one professionally the one loss is like John Jones asked DQ he was just absolutely mauling his opponent grab defense uh you know Kinoshita is a good fighter he can fight for 15 doesn't have doesn't appear to have cardio issues but I, I think you know it's just unknown with his defensive grappling. Could Fuji come in and just, you know, land three or four takedowns, control him for eight minutes? It's possible. Um, I think Kinoshita is the rightful favorite. I think he can knock him out. But it wouldn't shock me to see, you know, Fuji land two, three takedowns, get six minutes control time, land 50 significant strikes, etch out a, uh, a decision victory and score like 75, 80 points. And I think for 7,100 on this type of card, that is something you're looking for. Now, Kinoshita has finishing equity for sure. It's minus 200 to end inside the distance. So I think, you know, if Kinoshita wins, it's going to be by knockout. But I, I think there is a scenario where Fugit, you know, wrestles. 
uh, Kinoshita's take or defensive grappling isn't as good as we think it is, and he can put up 80 points in a decision win. And another thing, too, is it's not like the output was crazy for Kinoshita in his Dana White's contender series fight. So went into the third round, he ends up landing, was it 61? 62. Yeah, 62 yeah. significant strikes. But the other thing, too, there was no takedowns attempted or defended. So that, like, they were just striking, and the striking output was fairly modest. And the other thing you said, too, we haven't seen his defensive wrestling tested more often than not. How often do we see somebody who's known as a striking prospect and we've never seen their defensive wrestling? The percentage of time that it ends up they have bad defensive wrestling, it's far more often than not. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, this guy got dubbed what the Japanese Connor already. I don't know. Yeah. I've been seeing some people say that on uh on, on Twitter. We'll see. I am maybe he'll excited. prove us maybe he'll prove me wrong and he'll have a flashy, you know, he stands in that karate stance a little bit. I guess I can see it like he's a southpaw, you know, has some flashy strikes, maybe he comes out and just floors him. But like I with these unknowns, you have to at least, you know, account for the possibility that he's gonna Fuji's gonna have success in wrestling. So you know what it's kind of do you remember so here's a fight that we hit on the uh that i think it's it, obviously the the fighters are different but i think the fighting style could almost be uh somewhat similar in some ways here was a fight that we hit on pretty well for the last card that we did a, a couple weeks ago bruno ferreira versus gregory rodriguez just one where it's like this is a high variance fight we know the underdog if he wins he's going to score really well the field was really high on robocop in that spot you and i were on ferreira I could see this fight kind of being the same, especially when you look at our current ownership projections. Fugit projected for 15% ownership, 35% for Kinoshita. I'm going to take the leverage and play some uh, Fugit in this spot. The uh, next matchup is uh, Jubilee against Saragi. This is another one that I feel pretty confident is going to finish inside the distance. The field is targeting this one really heavily, but as they should, I'm going to pull up the most recent betting lines for this fight to see if it's changed. At all, but at least the last I looked, it was like minus 300 to finish inside the distance, which on a fight where we don't have all that much cheap value we feel great about, getting one of these mid-range fights that's super likely to finish inside the distance, I think that it, very high likelihood the winner of Sargi and, and Jubilee is going to be in the optimal lineup. I'm leaning towards the uh, Sargi side. Uh, I, I think that, once again, I, it's, it's a wrestler versus grappler matchup. More often than not in these kinds of matchups, whoever ends up getting the better of it ends up scoring very well on DraftKings. And uh, I'm going to be leaning towards Sargi, but Sargi, Jubilee, I think we're looking at an early finish in this spot. Uh, really, really high priority. This is going to be in the majority of my lineups tonight. Is it going to be the same for you? Sargi, if he's going to win, it's going to be by knockout. You know what I mean? He has good power. He throws not a ton of volume, 3.45 significant strikes per minute in his two road to the UFC fights. But if he gets, you know, if Jubilee starts throwing he's not going to sit there and take it you know i mean he's going to start throwing back he has okay wrestling from the tape i saw i don't know if he's going to use it as a path to victory but it, it could help him keep the feet keep the fight standing you know which is a big deal in this fight he, he has fought a couple to decision i just you know he might have some cardio issues we haven't seen him really pushed with, by a wrestler now jubilee is the wrestler here but he has poor competition on the regional scene right most of his regional fights outside of the road to the UFC, he would land a takedown and hold his opponent down. Like uh, four of his six wins were by decision. The other two were by submission. I, I, you know, I mean, like, I think maybe that's possible against low level grapplers. I don't see that as a, you know, a, uh, like a big path to victory here. 
it was weird because in his uh, road to UFC fight, he got taken down four times and he didn't even yeah. attempt to take down. And he landed 79 significant strikes and a knockdown. Didn't get the finish. I, I just think, you know, uh, Jekka has the power. If Jubilee's going to stand and bang, I think Jekka knocks him out. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree. It's an important fight to finish or to target here. Yeah. And uh, once again, just to read off the uh, most recent lines here. So uh, also in terms of just the DraftKings pricing, uh, we're going to see some ownership go to Sargi, probably going to be somebody who a lot of people flock to in cash games just because he's now the betting favorite. The line is flipped in this spot and he's the cheaper of the two fighters. You know, not significant because it's an 8,200, 8,000 fight, but still he's the uh, slight favorite in this spot. And the fight, yeah, once again, is a uh, favorite to finish inside the distance. So I, I think this is a pretty good fight to end up targeting and one that I'm going to be really heavy on. Uh, the next fight, I'm going to be curious for your take here because you've already mentioned that uh, Yi Jia is somebody you're interested in. So it's going to be Jia taking on Jung Young Lee. By the way, I always find it a little confusing with some of the uh, Asian names. I never know with whether the first name, the last name, like which one I'm supposed to say first yeah. when I'm just looking at yeah. on paper. Because the other thing, too, is like you look at a fantasy cruncher, it could be listed different. It is on the UFC website as it is listed at UFC stats as it is on Sherdog or whatever. But at least in fantasy cruncher, it is listed as Yi Jia versus uh, Zhang Yong Li. So try to sell me on this. Yi Jia, this is an underdog that you have some interest in. The field, mildly interested as well. He's projected for 19% ownership. Uh, what is that of you? What is it that has you targeting Ja in uh, tournaments? So there's a couple things here. I you know, there's not much tape on Yi, which is a concern. But there's not much tape on any of these guys, and he's mostly a grappler. Um, in his first road to the UFC fight, he landed uh, three takedowns and got a rear naked choke in the first, which was nice to see. And then his second fight, he landed six of nine takedowns. He got taken down six times as well. Went to distance, didn't have cardio issues. That is a heavy grappling fight, and to be able to to handle that for 15 minutes is nice to see. So Lee went to decision twice, but the last one was in 2018, and he, then he lost the decision in 17, where he slowed down pretty heavily towards the end of the fight. Maybe his cardio has improved since then, but since then he's had a lot of early finishes, including on the road to the UFC. He had an armbar and a KO. Um, I think he's best known as a strike. Like he's a pressure striker. He has a really good jab. Jab. We just haven't seen him really tested on the mat. Now, one of the questions that I have is: Is, is Lee's cardio better? If he survives that early onslaught of you know pressure from Lee, is he is Lee going to slow down? And if he does, I think you know uh, Yi Jia can take over with his wrestling, his grappling. And land takedowns. And I think, you know, obviously, if he wins, it is going to be a wrestling based um, decision or finish. And those are the type of guys that we really like to target on DraftKings because the, the scoring system really favors wrestlers. And these are some of the fights, too, where I, I was talking about before at the top of the card. Where I think in hindsight, we're going to look back at this card and say, boy, some of these lines were pretty stupid. Some of them just didn't match up with what actually ended up happening in the fights. And some of it's like something like this, like Lee versus Ja, where the fight is, you know, it's a minus 250 favor right now in Lee, and there's not really a lot of information on either of these fighters. And same before, when I was talking about Kinoshita versus Adam Fugit, you know, we know a little bit more about Fugit, but still, it's one that I don't think we could say based on what we know that anybody's deserving a lot of these fights to be a minus 260 or to be a minus 300 favorite. So 
with that in mind, I definitely do think it takes it. It makes a lot of sense to uh, take shots at, at Jaw in large field tournaments. And now somebody, at least to me, that does look pretty good in the next fight. We've got Nakamura taking on a Kazama. Nakamura, really strong wrestler, also has some power in his hands. I think there's a lot of advantages in this fight. The one thing that's maybe a little bit dicey, I think you make a case that Kazama maybe has grappling upside. Not in terms of, I don't expect him to get top position, but I wouldn't be surprised if somehow this ends up on the mat, maybe he sweeps position, and by that merit, he's able to land a submission. But uh, Nakamura at 9,300, he's a big favorite. But based on what I've seen, I actually do think that he's warranted to be this big of a favorite, right around minus 450. So... I'm be favoring him in tournaments. Uh, it might be easier to get to him than it is to ultimately get to uh, a really big favorite like Tyara. So that could be something that ends up coming into play for me when I'm making lineups because I did get to a little bit more of Nakamura, at least in my initial build. Is he somebody you think is warranted of such a big price tag of a favorite? Yeah, I think I think so. I, you know, he's a very strong wrestler. In his second fight on Road to the UFC, though, he brawled with uh, Shohei Nose. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but he did land two knockdowns, one one by first round KO. So like, the, there's a couple things that worry me with that. Sometimes these fighters don't take the path to least resistance. They want to brawl. They fall in love with their hands. But I think, you know, he showed he has good hands. He has also very good wrestling. The other thing is, I don't think he's the best submission grappler. I think Kazama's the better submission grappler here. So like, yeah, Nakamura is going to land some takedowns. And yeah, he did have a, have a key lock submission in the road to the UFC first fight, but I think Kazama is a better submission grappler. He has three wins by submission. Uh, he has two wins by ground pound, which were from, you know, top position. And from the tape, it looks like he has a pretty good bottom guard. He stays active. He's comfortable. That's that's the problem, though. He's comfortable off his back. So, like, he's going to give up these takedowns just to try to get into a position where he can reverse or, you know, I'm I'm not sure like if his how good he is going to be offensively wrestling against Nakamura just because Nakamura has that excellent wrestling pedigree. So I think Kazama is going to be kind of willing to get taken down uh, in a sense to try to you know reverse position and get a submission. But I think you know Nakamura is the rightful favorite. So I I just worry a little bit that you know nakamura is going to fall off his hands in this matchup i don't think that's a huge concern if this fight does take place on the feet he is i i would favor him but like i do worry a little bit that kazama is the better submission grappler yeah and uh by the way we got a uh message in the youtube chat from tokyo swan is saying nakamura is a wrestler and kazama is comfy off his back yeah i tend to think that if nakamura goes for takedowns i don't think because i don't even think kazama is going to resist yeah. Right. Like, I think I think he'll be happy to be taken down and just see what happens there. So the one thing that maybe could be a little bit of a concern from a fantasy perspective is if it plays out like that. What happens if Kazama just kind of lets Nakamura take him down and just kind of hangs out in bottom? Like, will it score well in that scenario? You know, maybe not. But uh, Nakamura, as far as an upside favor goes, I, I do think he makes sense. And there's a lot of wrestling upside. Yeah, and that does worry me a little bit. Right. If if Kazama's fine off his back you're not going to see much chain wrestling you're not going to see like eight takedowns from nakamura you're going to see like three or four you know what i mean which may limit his score unless he you know finds a submission let's hit on another fight that is uh maybe a little bit less likely to finish inside the distance so of all of the uh road to the ufc type fights a lot of them have really really inflated inside the distance odds not this one though so this matchup between uh, Hasung Park and Sung Guk Choi 
8,400, 7,800 price tag, but this one is actually minus 200 to finish uh, to go to the judges' scorecard. It's different at different books. Minus 200 at some places, as high as minus 205, minus 180 in other spots. So this is one fight that maybe we should be a little skeptical that doesn't have an early finish. It's actually only one of three fights on the entire card, I believe, that is not expected to finish inside the distance. With that information known, Park versus Choi, what are you going to do with this one in tournaments? Yeah, I don't have a ton of interest in this fight. I like both fighters. I just don't have a ton of interest from a DraftKings perspective. You know, Park is undefeated. He's wild, though. He fights at a really high pace, doesn't have much defensive you know, prowess, so he's going to get hit a bunch. But the, the thing is, like, he has a good finish rate, but he's powerful. He has good top control. He's got good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's just not a great wrestler. You know what I mean? He has issues getting the fight to the mat. Um, in the two road to the UFC fights, he landed two of seven takedowns, 28%, not what you want to see. And on the flip side, you know, Choi is a pressure fighter, but he doesn't throw. He only, he only lands 2.63 strikes landed per minute, and he wants to counter-strike. So if like Park knows that he wants to counter strike, maybe Park doesn't throw at a high rate, you know, and this could end up being a you know lower scoring fight. And Choi has a good good takedown defense, so I, I kind of feel like you know they're going to neutralize each other a little bit, and you're going to see a little bit of lower scoring. Yeah, and uh, like I said, one of the only fights that we have in here that's not expected to finish inside the distance. The fight, which anybody it, before the lines were released for this fight, even I didn't even know who a lot of these Asian fighters were when the card first came out until I started yeah. to look into it. But even with that information known, I knew or information unknown, I knew that Yi Jong Kim and Mandy Bohm was going to be the fight that had the the most likely odds to go to the judges' scorecards. This fight is uh, not good on paper. Yi Jong Kim, I do expect to win. Uh, I'm not going to bet her as a nearly minus 300 favorite. If you wanted to, I think I'd prefer betting her to win uh, by Georgia's scorecards, if anything. But I'm not going to be betting this fight. And the other one, too, is with so many fights likely to finish inside the distance, it's hard for me to think there's that much upside in Kim versus Boehm. Is is there anything else you have to add about this fight? Because when I first ran lineups in Fantasy Cruncher, this was the first one I moved for my pool. Yeah, these two fighters are one in six in their last seven UFC fights. I think Jiang Kim is the rifle favorite here, and I think she wins a striking-based decision. She lands almost six strikes per minute. But like, uh, Manny Baum isn't very good. Maybe Kim finds a late finish, but it, it's just hard to rely on that, especially with the Vegas odds. So like, I, I don't have much interest in this fight. Maybe, you know, maybe Kim lands 90 to 100 significant strikes with no wrestling. That's what, like 85, 90 points, which, I, which is fine. But like, I, I, I don't think that has tournament winning upside in it. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, too, is like it's not like we are projecting this fight for no ownership. Both of them are around 20% right now. I, I do expect that could come down as we get fo- f- uh, closer to the fight card because, you know, we're still eight hours out because of how late the, the start is to this. But uh, if these fighters are actually going to be picking up ownership, it's not even a thing where we're saying like, oh, this is low owned. You can take a shot on them in large field tournaments. Like the ownership is kind of expected to be there to some extent. And Yijuan Kim is really expensive. She is 9,000. So you need her to, you know, match fighters like Tyara or you need her to fight to match a fighter like Nakamura in a win. And I just don't think that's all likely. So I'm not going to be taking shots on her. And then same for Mandy Bohm, who number one, I don't think is going to win the fight. But then number two, I don't even expect her to score well if she was to win. So I don't see anything to really like here. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I guess if you if you want to play Kim and Cash, you could. I don't know if I'd make it a priority, but like, 
she, I guess she has a, a decent floor, which you can make the argument is a good cash play, but you know, you probably can make a cash lineup without her as well. So even though we're sponsored by prize picks today, I know a lot of people like I live in New Jersey, Josh lives in New Jersey. We actually don't have access to prize picks, but here's the good thing. We got access to DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, all of those different books. And if you guys are interested in sports betting, this is another really easy way for you guys to get access to all the tools we have over at stochastic.com for the cheapest price available, which is basically free. Because if you sign up using the BetMGM link that we have below, when you place your first bet over at BetMGM, you just have to make a deposit of $10. And when you do that by signing up with our link, you can get one free month of Stochastic Plus Platinum. So we have this offer available for prize picks. We have it for BetMGM. So depending what state you live in, I know some states have both. Take advantage of one. If you guys have been interested in trying to try out our tools, but maybe you think it's too expensive or you just aren't sure if it's for you or not, there's no better price than free. Sign up using our prize picks link or BetMGM link one month free of Stochastic Plus Platinum when you do. Just a couple of fights left here to talk about, although really only one, because we've already touched on the Tyara Jesus Aguilar fight. And it's if you guys have the cap space to spend up for Tyara, both Josh and I feel really good that he's going to get a finish in this fight. He should score really well. The only opportunity cost there is that he's $9,600 on DraftKings, and that does become a little bit restrictive. So, Tyara, we've already hit on that one. So, really be uh, wrapping up here. Jung Young Park against Dennis Tululin. Uh, this is another one that I think should score pretty well. It's uh, also favored to finish inside the distance, like most fights are on tonight's card. If you look at overall some of the lines on this fight, it is uh, you know actually plus 165 to finish inside the uh, under one and a half rounds, which is fairly close, minus 160 to finish inside the distance. So another fight we're looking at a uh, fairly likely finish. As far as fighters that are under 8K go, Tulum to me is actually one of the better targets just because if he does win, I'm fairly sure it's going to be a knockout. And then uh, Jung Young Park is another fighter who I think has finishing equity at $8,500. So pretty good mid-range fight to target. I don't like it quite as much as the uh, Jubilee and Saragi fight, but probably my second favorite mid-range fight to target. Yeah, if Tulum wins, it's going to be he's high action. You know what I mean? 6.18 significant strikes landed per minute. He absorbs 6.06. This, you know, give and take here. He's got a pretty poor striking defense. He has decent takedown defense, which is why you like the uh, Park or the Bach, however you pronounce it, uh, under on the takedown here. I think Park uh, should be favored on the feet as well. Uh, he, he has pretty good metrics, almost five significant strikes landed per minute. He absorbs less than four. Uh, you always like to see fighters landing more than they <laughs> get hit. Uh, I think, you know, if Tulum, you know, comes in expecting to knock him out like he did against... Um, Jamie Pickett, I think, you know, it's really hard to knock out Park. We've seen it happen. He is very durable, though. Um, Park, you know, got knocked out by RoboCop. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, he's very durable. He has advantages on the feet. If he does choose to wrestle, he should have advantages there. I just, you know, it is favored to end inside the distance. I just don't know if I can favor it over you know, like the, the Yi fight, which is minus 300 inside the distance. Obviously, the main events like minus 750 inside the distance. There's a lot. There's a handful of other fights that are minus 225 and up 10 inside the distance. So, like, I like the fight. I think you can go to the Iron Turtle here. I think Tulum makes a lot of sense as an underdog. I think he'll be one of the more popular underdogs in the mid-range. Uh, I just, you know, I'm favoring Park here. Yeah, me too. And I think he's better everywhere. And before when I said I like the under two takedowns for him, over on prize picks. One of the main reasons is because I do think if he gets the fight to the ground early, he just probably subs to Lulin. Like, I think that's probably <laughs> one of the more likely outcomes. So 
to me, it's like, uh, well, the the prop line is two and a half takedowns. He's landed, he, he's not hit three takedowns in any of his last four fights. And then the other thing too is, I mean, one takedown might be enough for him to win it here. So uh, Tululin, a lot of power. I do like him quite a bit as an underdog. And like you said, in general, the Iron Turtle, there's a reason he's nicknamed the Iron Turtle. He's very durable, but did get finished by Gregory Rodriguez. And I think something else too, one of the reasons that he hasn't been finished, it's not like he's fought that many people that are live to finish him. Like Joseph Holmes, Eric Anders, who is somebody who's a really good athlete, played college football at Alabama, but we haven't really seen him be a high action fighter in the UFC. The one guy he's fought that really has a lot of power was Gregory Rodriguez and put him away. So pretty good fight to target in tournaments. I like going after him. The only other fight here left is the is the uh, Tyara fight. We've already hit on that one. So do you have any other thoughts on the card or anything we didn't talk about, Josh? I just think, you know, if you are if you have a lean on some of these guys that are underdogs, I think you just kind of go with it. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing that I'm super confident about. And I just worry, you know, the the first click for the underdogs are going to be Derek Lewis because people are going to be like, oh, you know, Derek Lewis is going to knock out Spivak. I'm going to try to avoid Derek Lewis. I'm going to be heavy on Spivak. So I'm going to, you know, take shots on uh, Yija, Adam Fugit, maybe a couple stabs on Kazama. But basically, if you have leans, you know, play these guys. Like, I think Toulon's going to be fairly popular. But this is, you know, for a low fight card like that's taking place in the middle of the night in vegas i actually i i like this card there's a lot of variance and a lot of you know knockout upside finishing upside so maybe maybe an optimizer spits out you know the nuts and there's like a 20-way tie but i think there's a good chance you can see you know a unique win or you know just a couple dupe you know like a three-way dupe at the top so i, I like this card yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We haven't had fights in a couple of weeks. I did really well on the last card, and hopefully that carries over. So that is going to do it for us today, guys. Do us a favor. Like the video. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're going to play NBA DFS today, I'm hosting the NBA Live Before Lock show later on tonight. So check that out as well. Good luck. Have a great weekend, everybody. Good luck. Let's go.